You're listening to episode number 21 of the Boys Built Better podcast. Today, we're talking about raising boys in the era of the Me Too movement. Welcome to the Boys Built Better podcast. I'm Jessica, a mom of three boys who is just trying to do things better. I'm coming to you from Fort Collins, Colorado, where I live with my husband, our boys, and a whole lot of four-legged friends. I'm here to share my thoughts on raising boys in today's world, find answers to your parenting questions, and chat with experts about building happy, healthy boys. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Today, I am talking again with Brett Naylor, who is an education coordinator at the Sexual Assault Victims Advocate Center. And we're talking about raising boys in the era of the Me Too movement and if anything has changed or what it's like to be a boy today. And it's a really interesting conversation. It sort of came out of me originally talking to Saba about um, creating some content around consent. And we just had a casual conversation about what it's like to be myths about being a boy today. And we decided it, it was worth an episode of content. So let's cut on over to that interview. Hi, Brett. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good. I'm excited that you are back on the show. For listeners that maybe didn't hear you in the last episode, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Brett Naylor. I am one of the prevention education coordinators at the Sava Center. Um, I have been with the Sava Center for about a year and a half overall, but within my current position, it's been about like six months or so. Um, And then I have a background in human development and family studies from um, Colorado State University, where I kind of emphasized working with kiddos and having, you know, teaching them about like kind of really important developmental stuff that they need, especially regarding like sexuality and, and consent and things like that. So cool. And we're this is our third episode just on understanding assault, teaching consent. We've got a lot of great content and this episode kind of came out of an initial discussion and it, it turned into its own episode. I'm really excited about it. We're going to just talk about what it's like to be a boy today in this era of the Me Too movement. And I, I, I've just seen a lot of comments on it on social media of people, you know, saying that it must just be so hard to be a boy today. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to chat about that from as an expert, your standpoint and and what it means to be a boy today in this era of Me Too. <clears throat> but uh, for anybody who may not fully understand, right, what the Me Too movement is, can you just kick us off by talking a little bit about that and and uh, just so we're all on the same page? Yes, of course. Um, so... A lot of people think that the Me Too movement is a very like recent thing, but actually it was founded back in 2006. Um, so it's been about 13 years and it was primarily for black women and other women of color from low um, income areas as a way to provide um, resources and interrupt sexual violence within those communities um, because they were seeing a lot of perpetration. They were seeing that there weren't resources to begin with. And it was just kind of started out as a a way to get those individuals help and start their healing process, right? Because they they didn't necessarily have access to it. Um, Nowadays, it, it means... Um, it has grown so much, as I'm sure you're aware and everybody else is aware because it, it's been such a conversation the past couple of years. Um, so 
what this kind of started out as, especially recently, I guess not started out as, but recently when, how it exploded is because the, the actual like keywords in it is me too, right? So um, what that means and how it's been used is saying that um, sexual violence is very pervasive in our society. It's not just like, you know, one person who's experiencing it. It's many, many different people. Um, and by saying me too, and all these, you know, very brave individuals for coming forward and say like, yeah, I've experienced this. This is happening to me too. Um, it's allowed um, as a culture and as a society for us to become aware that these things are happening to us. Right. Um, and so as an organization, as the Me Too movement, they are um, still really focused on helping individuals who don't have those resources. So that, you know, that looks like people of color, um, that looks like transgender individuals, um, any other sort of like minority identity, as well as, you know, providing those resources, giving them support, however that looks like for them, um, and then pursuing certain policies regarding whether it's, you know, state policies, federal policies, um, workplace policies um, to help support survivors. Because we, we have this, um, had this society and we still kind of are kind of struggling with it where we don't acknowledge that sexual violence is a thing and the the point of this movement is to be like no it, it is a thing and, it, and it's happening right so that's kind of what it is yeah right and kind of it's kind of remarked on how prevalent it is as well right right um so kind of can you talk about what that means and its significance yeah so the significance of it is that when you know in the past, we've seen, you know, survivors of sexual assault, um, they don't come forward very often, right? So when it comes to reports of sexual violence, only 70, or not only 70, 77% of people who experience sexual violence never report it. So that's over three fourths of people who are experiencing these don't even come forward with it, right? Which only, you know, ends up not to not, this isn't putting blame on on those victims because they have the right to, you know, go forward or, or to not. That's their choice. Um, but it it lets kind of the society that we've already built up kind of continue where we're saying like, oh, sexual violence doesn't happen. It's not a real thing. Uh, we don't need to talk about it. But because of the Me Too movement, it has brought it to the forefront of our society. You know, it, I hear uh, something about, you know, Me Too and I hear, you know, um, people who've experienced sexual violence. I mean, I'll, not obviously I hear it every day within my job at, yeah. here at the Sava Center, but I hear it, you know, all the time on my, on my way home from work. I hear it um, in the TV shows I watch because it, it's now like people are putting that in there because it's, it's relevant now. Um, so by keep making it relevant, it not only makes people aware of it, but it destigmatizes, you know, what maybe survivors feel is, is shame or doubt there or guilt that they've experienced, you know, because society often pushes them away. Like, okay, well, this was your fault as you've talked about probably um, in the first podcast is that um, we victim blame a lot. Right. Um, but it's really not the victim's fault. It's always the perpetrator. So it, it kind of brings that to the forefront that people aren't asking for this, but it still is very like prevalent and we need to kind of, you know, stop it. Right. And you're not alone. Right. Cause it's, it's me too. So, Let's talk about what we're here for. What does that mean to men? Yes. 
So it means a lot of different things to men, and it also doesn't mean a lot of different things to men. Um, so if you listen to the last podcast, Hannah mentioned some t- statistics about perpetrators, where of female victims, 97% of the perpetrators are men. And then for male victims, 86% of the perpetrators are also men. Um and before we get into anything about that, none of this has to do with the sexuality or, or sexual orientation or anything like that. Um, but when you look at those statistics, most, most of those people are men, right? Um, and a lot of people believe that when, we, when we, they hear these statistics, that it's saying that 97% of all men are perpetrators, right? And they're saying like, oh, men, all men perpetrate sexual violence. All men do this X, Y, Z, um, which is, is, is not true. Like we've talked about before in previous podcasts that um, the overall population of men that do perpetrate is low and that those perpetrators just perpetrate multiple times. And then that we also have, you know, those men who don't understand, um, aren't necessarily in it for the power and control part of it necessarily 100% of the time, but, you know, don't understand consent and they, they don't understand that they don't have that empathy. And then they start, they're still taking that power and control away, whether they necessarily intend to or not, because they lack those, those teachings and those empathies, right? What we should take away from it as men is that even if it, even though I did say it's not all men, it's still men who are perpetrating the perpetrators in a sense, um, not perpetrating, but perpetuating is the word I was looking for. Um, because as men, um, growing up in our society, we often, you know, teach other men to be certain ways and to, you know, be dominant, be in control. And because of that, even though those men don't necessarily always perpetrate, um, they're still like giving way to those other men, to then perpetrate later, right? And then um, as one person who we'll talk about later, Terry Crews, he says a quote that I really like is that silence is violence. And so as men, um, even though um, we may not be perpetrators ourselves, if we're still being silent about other men perpetrating, that's, you know, in a sense, just as bad as just like perpetrating yourself because you're letting other people get away with it and you're seeing that, you know, like, it's not a big deal that, you know, all these people are being hurt by men, right? So it's a very real issue that um, men should be facing and talking about. So is it more dangerous to be a man today? It is not. Um, That is a very common misconception that we hear. Um, Today's movements, and especially Me Too, we hear, I see a lot of posts about like, okay, well, um, I, as as a man in my work field, will no longer take on a female mentorship because I'm afraid that they are going to accuse me of sexual harassment or assault or things like that. And, and that's just not the case. That doesn't really happen. Um, there's a really good quote by Idris Elba who says that um, men who are concerned about being accused of these kind of crimes um, are more likely men to have something to hide. Like, you know, because people, we should know better than to do this. And if you're more concerned about oh, I'm going to be accused any moment. I'm not going to talk to women because, or else I'm going to be accused. If you have that, then you probably have some like preconceived, like 
notions or biases that you already kind of perpetuate this kind of violence already, whether you believe so or not. So, but overall, no, it's not um, more dangerous to be a man in today's society. It's just that now that we have this movement and it's come to the forefront of our, our brains and our society, it feels like that because it, it's, it's there, right? But it, it's not any more than what actually has happened for all of history. So. Right. And that's probably important for parents and just people and to know in general, like that you're not more liable or more likely to be a perpetrator or be accused just because now Me Too has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned in your answer, your previous answer, a little bit about, and I just said it too, about being accused. Are Mormon being accused now? Yeah. So um, that's kind of like a um, an interesting question because, yes, technically you could say that they are more men being accused, but that's not saying that like um, women are falsely accusing men. It just means that because um, I said, you know, 77 percent of these sexual violence incidents don't even get reported. Right. But mm-hmm. because of the Me Too movement, people are now being comfortable coming forward with those and more and more of those are being finally reported. So yes, more men are being accused, um, but it's not saying that more incidents are happening necessarily. It's not saying that people are falsely um, accusing because we find that only two to 6% of all um, reports of sexual violence are false, right? So when we say false reports, we mean that someone knowingly makes a report Um, to either like a law enforcement agency or like HR or something like that. And they know that what they're doing is false. So what they're saying is like this XYZ happened and they know that it's false. Um, That is no more than any other crime that we have in our society. It's the same percentage for um, arson, like people who, who claim arson reports falsely or who say like, oh, I was mugged or things like that. It's no higher than any of those. But in our society, we believe that for sexual violence that, you know, women are always coming forward because they have some alternative purpose for they want revenge or they want attention or things like that. But that doesn't necessarily make sense because let me ask you, do you think when someone comes forward, do they get like good attention or bad attention overall? Right. I mean, my husband and I were talking about this during the Kavanaugh hearings Mm -hmm. a lot. It was like whether or not this woman should have come forward after all of this time. And it was sort of like, um, yeah, she got huge, like a large amount of negative attention for it. Right. Like you wouldn't put yourself through that if, if it wasn't something that happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because as a society and as we see, because we have these preconceived notions of what sexual violence looks like and how we don't, our society overall tends to not believe survivors, the attention that survivors get are are bad for most of the time. Like you said, the Brett Kavanaugh ones, she, um, the survivor who came forward got death threats. I, I would watch those hearings live. She got, you know, she was told to, you know, go to hell, go to all these, all these really negative things and it's not really the attention anyone would ever really want um also you know you hear things myths about like oh someone would want revenge um but revenge is very unlikely especially when it comes to sexual um violence because in our court systems um it's very unlikely especially we see it all the time here at the sava center that perpetrators are even convicted in the first place you may think that like um a case is a slam dunk because there's evidence, there's DNA, there's, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, but we still see so much because of biases from juries and judges that 
um, perpetrators just get off with nothing. And then even if they do get convicted, they get like a slap on the wrist. The case with Brock Turner, who had all these witnesses, all these other things for the um, sexual assault that he perpetrated, that he... He was convicted, but he got a very minimal sentencing to begin with, and then he got out early anyway. So going for, you know, claiming sexual violence in the sense that you want revenge just, just doesn't make sense because it likely that revenge will even happen is little to none, right? So we like to think that like those false reports, and we know from from studies that it's it's no greater than any other crime and that even when we do find studies that do that we have to look at those very critically because those studies oftentimes take um statistics from law enforcement agencies that may help hold their own biases such as like um even if someone comes forward saying that they were sexually assaulted but there's no evidence then sometimes police agencies will just throw that into a false report regardless of what any other like investigating or anything like that just because there's no evidence they claim that as a false report which then elevates the percentage of the two to six percent higher than what it probably is it's probably lower than that two percent and then of course if that 77 percent of sexual assaults came forward that then would increase or decrease that two to six percent to probably closer to like 0.5 percent so false reports just like really do not happen and they're very frustrating to hear Great. oh my gosh all of that was really interesting this the the lack of convictions i guess i probably knew that and i certainly knew the brock turner story so we're talking about what it's like to be a man in the area of me too movement and it's like literally there's no change it sounds like like you can just go on and be yourself and there's nothing that's going to happen to you unless you're perpetrating yeah and even if you're perpetrating a large number of those go unreported and and just as many go unconvicted mm-hmm. absolutely right and and that's kind of it, it's just strange that we have those myths that like you know as a society we're like okay well it's so scary to be a man but the odds are that you nothing's gonna happen to you right and especially like let's not even bring in race to it especially if you're mm-hmm. like a white man it's definitely not scary yes absolutely right Abs- race is a, a huge part of it yeah and we'll talk about that um, later on was Terry yeah. Crews. So. <laughs> oh man, you did just kind of blow my mind with all of that, yeah. like the conviction stuff too, which like I had never really thought of. So, um, I, I, this is a podcast about raising boys specifically. Is <laughs> I guess the answer is probably no. I already know the answer yeah. based on what you just said. But it, does any of this have an impact, or how do you think this has an impact on parents of boys? Yeah, I think um, when I see a lot of things on the internet and on the media, it, it definitely has that impact on parents because I see parents all the time be like, okay, well, I have a son and now I'm, I'm scared to death that they're going to be accused of something they didn't do or, or even if they did do it, I'm, I'm afraid that it's going to come forward because no parent wants to see that in their child, right? While like you, you can understand it, like, you know, you obviously don't want that to happen, but it it's only feeds into these myths that we have. And you know, if you listen to our previous, the previous one uh, podcast where we talk about how to teach um, consent to your kids, especially like to boys, that if you're having those conversations, if you're teaching empathy, bodily autonomy, that, you know, they have the right to respect their own body and other people have to respect theirs. They also have to respect others. If you're teaching those things, then there shouldn't be any worry that, you know, anyone's going to be falsely accusing your your kiddo because that just doesn't happen right yeah so as long as they're not actually perpetrating you should have no worries because if you're having those conversations you, you can probably sleep pretty soundly right so yeah. 
And I guess that's probably even even relevant for men in the area of Me Too. Like, if we're distinguishing between boys and men, like, if you're not perpetrating, there's, you're, there's not really a need to worry. Yeah. So it goes both ways for men and boys. Absolutely. But I do think, like, what you had said, um, that, that there... Uh, we need to be responsible as parents for teaching our children and, and putting this on the list of things that you do cover with your children, which is why we are recording these episodes. But I think that that's probably the most relevant thing that parents can do is really start conversations with their kids. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we're having those, then I don't think there's really a worry that your your kid, your son is going to be accused of anything. Um, because if they're not perpetrating, there's no reason that they would be, right? So yeah. Let's continue to kind of talk about men's role in Me Too. Um, we, we automatic, if you're thinking of Me Too, you're automatically thinking of women, right? Um, being harassed or assaulted. Um, is that a, a male issue as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, so we do when we think about sexual violence that most of the time it's something that affects women, um, which statistically does affect women more like more frequently than it does men so it's like one in four women will experience sexual violence at some point in their lifetime and then um, it's one in six men who experience sexual violence at some point in their life so even though it is women it do experience it more one in six men yeah is still a ton right Absolutely. so if you walk into you know a grocery store you know, all the people that are around there, that's a lot of people, right? Um, and then specifically talking also about like boys and, and, and children. Um, by the time um, kiddos reach um, the end of high school, 83% of women will experience sexual harassment, while 79% of boys will experience sexual harassment. So it's very prevalent. Both men and women experience it. Um, so not only should, you know, men, like we talked about, be concerned with the, their role in the Me Too because and take it seriously because they men are most most of the perpetrators, right? But it's also affecting men too, right? The Me Too movement doesn't necessarily say like, oh, only women are allowed within it. Men are allowed just just the same, right? Because men do experience that, and we can't just say like, oh, you know, push men aside because oh, like just because men are are more often the perpetrators than not doesn't mean that men also don't experience sexual violence because like I said, most of the perpetrators for men are also men. So we can't just like ignore them. So those numbers are sort of staggering, right? Like that more women um, are experiencing this, but one in six men is kind of outrageous. And at 79%, what was the, uh, so 79% of men will experience sexual harassment by the end of high school. Can you at all kind of give examples of what that might look like if, if you're a man experienced sexually, uh, you know, like, I just feel like people will be like, what is he talking about? Yeah. With that, when, when it comes to men as well, I'll throw out another statistic. Most of the time, those men who do experience sexual violence is before their age of 18. So most of the uh, men who experience it are, are kiddos, are minors. Um, so that can look a lot of different ways. Uh, I mean, with sexual violence, that uh, we see men are victims of sexual violence um, or I mean, not sexual violence, but sexual assault specifically. So that that's breaking that touch barrier, right? Mm -hmm. Unconsensually. Um, oftentimes that is people that are supposed to be like taking care of them, such as family members or youth leaders, things like that often take advantage of that trusting role to, um, take advantage of the kiddos. But then also for men, we see 
men get their like butt slapped all the time constantly whether they ask for it or not especially you know with like football and things like and you can say like i bet some people would argue that like especially with like football that's a very normal thing and it's accepted but like even though like maybe like a coach slap or like other teammates slap a, another player on on their butts um do do they really give them the chance to say no yeah no and that doesn't necessarily mean that just because that's like kind of like become a cultural thing within like the culture of football or any other sport that doesn't necessarily make it okay to do it without asking asking consent so sometimes you know people are uncomfortable with that so we see like that a lot and like in locker rooms and things like that um men will come up and give like wedgies or they'll moon each other or like steal their towels and those are different forms of sexual assault and sexual harassment calling someone faggot or gay or pussy or things like those kind of words are also sexual harassment which i'm sure like hannah talked about in the in the first podcast of the series um so men experience those kind of things all the time right and while they do look different um some of the other things that women experience they're still just as important we shouldn't just dismiss them you know just because oh it's normal to slap each other on the on the butts you know like no that's that's still like very serious and it's teaching men that um their body autonomy does not matter right right? so and then and then reverse that they shouldn't be respecting others right that theirs doesn't and so then other people there's others don't as yes. well as their autonomy um cool thanks i was yeah. just i don't know did those, answer those, everything it did i would just those numbers i i don't know i was shocked by those statistical numbers about what men experience as well and i think that's important to talk about too like we're not just here saying like given even though men are likely to be the perpetrator that you that men also can't be the victim so i just mm. think that was yeah. Um, an interesting question. You had mentioned before um, somebody named Terry Crews. Can you talk a little bit more about him? Yes. Yeah, so Terry Crews, um, I feel like I talk about Terry Crews all the time. I talk, he's, he's probably one of my like favorite people in the world. He is um, a former NFL player. He's a current actor. Um, and he is probably what I would say is the leading um, role model for men in the, in the Me Too movement. And I won't go into too too many details because it, you know it's his story and if I'm he shared it but I I, I just won't share it because I don't want to like right I can that, link to it I have story. I've never heard of it before right, so I'm excited to hear it but, but I can find the full story and, and yeah. put it in the show notes so I'll get I'll just for the point of the conversation is he was sexually assaulted um, as well by another man and when he came forward with his experiences of sexual violence. Um, people dismissed him like, oh, well, you know, that's just something guys do or because he's super big and muscular, they were like, well, why didn't you hit the guy back? Why didn't you fight back? Which is a myth that we hold for male victims as that men are because because men are always supposed to be in control in control and dominant. They're not allowed to be the victims of these things. Um, so you know, saying things like, why didn't you fight back? Why didn't you do this X, Y, Z? Which even if you do claim that, you know, you hit somebody in self-defense because they were, you know, sexually assaulting you, things like that, that's never like a solid defense. Um, and that's never going to guarantee your, your innocence because um, certain factors. But then also when we talk about um, race and, and um, skin colors, Terry Crews um, is a black man and then his perpetrator was white. And so um, that doesn't sound like a good combination. No, it does not. Because in our society, we 
stereotype black men and just black people in general that they're very aggressive and that they're they're dangerous and so even if because terry cruz was the victim of that if he decided to to fight back and, and beat up the perpetrator odds are he probably would have been charged with assault because we have these biases in our in our legal system law enforcement that um protects white people far more than it does black um individuals so Terry Crews would have just been more and more of a victim of the current, you know, society that we live in. Um, and then another thing I want to touch on with victim blaming, because if Terry Crews experiences, you know, the um, largely the victim blaming of, you know, why men fight back and that's something that men face. Another victim blaming statement that men also face, especially if the perpetrator is a woman, is that like, why didn't you like that, right? Because men are always supposed to be like, oh, well, you're always supposed to be after sex, you know, like you gotta, you know, take it wherever you can get it. And so like, there's no way a guy would ever not want sex. And so if they're ever assaulted by a woman, then they're not treated like, oh, you know, they're not treated seriously. Like, oh, I don't get why you wouldn't want that, things like that. or. Um, again, if it's, if it's another man who perpetrates against another man, um, there's the, you know, we still, even though we've made great gains in the past years, there's still a ton of homophobia in our society where if a man comes forward with saying, I was assaulted by another man, then they're afraid of being um, treated negatively, saying like, oh, you know, you know, you're gay or you're a faggot or things like yeah. that, you know, using those, that negative language and that homophobia still kind of persists. So those are experiences that survivors like Terry Crews experience that are men and why we should take men survivors just as seriously as, as any other survivor. So anything else to talk about there with Terry Crews, like in terms of the work he's doing? Yeah. So Terry Crews, um, cause I did mention that he's like one of the biggest, you know, advocates, um, for the Me Too movement, especially as a man, is that the I, I would say the biggest thing that he does, and I think that other men can take um, really an example from him, is that the first thing that he does is he he listens, right? He he understands that um, when we talk when we do talk about perpetrators, that it is mostly men, but it's not all men, and it, 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 men are victims as well. So he understands that that there's a difference between those. He listens and understands that as a man in the past that he has perpetuated certain things about what masculinity looks like and how men are supposed to be charged and control. And he's acknowledged that as his past, that, that that was probably a little bit harmful, right? And he he has those open conversations with other men, you know, talking about, okay, well, like, sure, you're not being a perpetrator, you're not actually committing sexual assault or sexual harassment, but because you're per per perpetuating these ideas you're still feeding into it right and just having those conversations as a man to another man um can be very beneficial because unfortunately in our society men tend to not listen to anybody else but other men uh, as you know um as stereotypical as that sounds uh, that's kind of true because of the stereotype that men hold about how men are dominant. So like, you know, sometimes they don't listen to women or they don't listen to people of color or things like that, depending on those contextual factors. So having another man talk about that openly and say like, hey, this is a real issue that we need to talk about um, really lets other men in on it and say like, okay, yeah, you're right. I, I didn't think about it this way. I, um, I have been perpetuating X, Y, Z and I, I, understand that that was wrong and I'm going to do better. So having that kind of conversations and um, that Terry Crews is, you know, setting by example um, goes a long way. 
So yeah. it makes me think that with some of the stuff that we've been talking about over this series of episodes, that it's probably important that that fathers are taking part in some of this, um, just the idea of teaching consent and all the stuff that we've been talking about that, that some of that teaching should come from fathers as well to sons. Yeah. uh, Fathers are a very, um, important role within a kiddo's life, especially when raising other boys. I saw, um, some very nasty comments about, um, throughout, you know, this whole Me, me too movement about how the reason why men are, um, perpetrating or acting, you know, in certain ways is not because of the lack of proper men representation because of, but it's because of the lack of it saying that like women are the ones who are responsible for raising men to be, you know, perpetrators for being these things. And that's just so not true. Um, because basically what those comments are saying is that it's just deflecting the responsibility that we as men hold <laughs> off of men, off of men. <laughs> and, and it's just ridiculous. Cause like, you know, when they say things like, oh, um, I can't remember the actual, actual statistic, but like most, um, I can't remember, but it's, it's talking about like how single mothers um, who have that lack of rep, like fathers in their lives um, have or can't like raise a boy properly because they don't have those men and that it's their fault for that. <laughs> but it's actually, you know, when we actually really think about it, it's because those men have these ideas that, oh, I don't, I don't need to care about my children. I don't need to raise them. And so then they leave and it's, and it's that, that man's choice and it's that man's problem that their son is not getting the proper representation. It's not any woman's first, problem. Yeah. It's, it's men's, it's just as much, uh, if not more men's role to, to show and set an example for what it is to be a man and how to be responsible and respectful with that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, that was a good quote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know. I think that's important that we just kind of have that little, little chat about where, you know, this is all well and good, but, but the, the, it's important to get the fathers involved in helping raise these boys, um, this way. Uh, what about you had mentioned Terry Crews and the work he was doing with survivors and I can link to some of his stuff in the show notes, but how can, how can we support survivors? Yeah. Um, so we have kind of like what I like to call our three-step program at Sava. Um, it's not really a program or anything, but that's just how I like to think about it. Um, it's called Listen, Believe, Support. So uh, anybody can do this, but I also think it's very important for men to do this because I feel men, when they have conversations of sexual violence, that they get very defensive right away, right? Um, or be like, this isn't me. This isn't relevant to me because I don't do this, but like... They, you know, in some ways, like I said, they perpetuate and things like that. And it's very important to kind of follow these steps as best as you can and being open to these. Um, is the first one is just like I said to listen. So this looks like um, if anyone comes to you with their experiences or has like these open conversations, is just to um, listen in an active way. So obviously that means. Um, not just like letting one thing go out of the other ear, um, but really listening to what they're saying, acknowledging what they're saying. It doesn't mean like um, always being thinking of your next thing to say. Cause if you, sometimes I think as people, we have the habit of when someone else is talking, we think about, okay, well, I'm going to say next. Right. And, the, and when you do that, you don't actually listen to what someone says. Um, and I think that's something that's really important 
Um, because then you're really giving the time of day to that person, especially when it comes to survivors, because, um, oftentimes in our society, we don't give the time of day to survivors. So being there to listen and letting that happen, um, can be very healing as well as not asking too many details, like letting a survivor, you know, give what they want to give and not being like, okay, well, what happened next? Go, can you go into more detail? And I mean, obviously like, um, depending on certain situations, especially if it's like regarding kiddos, if you need more information to make sure that they're safe, um, or if they need extra resources, being careful with that, but not like digging too deep. Cause we don't want to like, cause giving those stories and, you know, sharing your experiences can be very like re-traumatizing to survivors. So just being respectful of that. And then also avoiding why questions. Cause why questions oftentimes lead to lead to victim blaming. So it's just like, Oh, why were you out late at night? Why were you wearing this dress? Why were you flirting with them if you didn't want this to happen to you? Or for like men, why why didn't you beat like fight them back? Or you know things like that. Not asking those why questions can be very beneficial. Um, the next part is believe, which I think um, is probably the like biggest philosophy we have at the Salva Center and just generally just dealing with survivors. The false accusations are so far in, in, in between from ever actually like being falsely reported that there's no reason for anyone not to believe someone, right? And as, as individuals in our daily lives, it's not our jobs to decide whether or not something happened or not. We're not the police. We're not an investigator. We're not the ones who get to do that investigating. So it's not really our job to decide whether or not they're telling the truth. If someone comes forward that's very hard because like I said, like only 23% of people who experience these things come forward. And even when they do, oftentimes we, we see them because it's such a hard thing to do. Um, they try to go to the person they trust most. And when they go to that person who they trust most and that person maybe doesn't believe them, odds are is that they're not going to get help from anybody else. Because if it's like the person that I trusted the most and believe me, then what am I going to do? Right. And so just being that like belief in them and using words, like I believe you and that you did nothing wrong. You didn't ask for this to happen using those words. Like you, you know, you didn't like, this shouldn't have happened to you. Using those things can be super beneficial to a survivor and their process for healing and being able to get the help that they need. And then the last one is support, which is also very important because when we talk about sexual violence, it's about taking power and control away from the victims, right? And so the last thing we want to do is continually take that power and control away from them by saying things like, um, if you, you need to go talk to a counselor right now, or you need to go to the police right now. And if you don't, then I will, because that, that's, those are ways of taking power from, away from them. Cause that's basically taking, you know, the control that they have over their lives out. Um, so a way to go support them is giving those, those options. You can still say like, you know, I really care about you and I want you to get, um, help. Here are some ways that, you know, you can seek help if you want to. There are, here are some therapy resources here, um, are the police agencies you can go to. If you want to go to any of these, I will go with you. If you would like, if you want like some support, I'm here for you. Or maybe some, sometimes we see even survivors who are like, I'm not comfortable going to the police or make going to a counselor, uh, myself, but can you go for me? Kind of like in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and giving them those options because we want to give them the power and control back. Right. So that's how like, um, we like to look at and support survivors, um, within our jobs. And it's not necessarily, you have to be in this field to, to do these things. This is just as important from, you know, a family member to a friend, if you, regardless of your experience with sexual violence. So.
Uh, besides uh, uh, maybe just kind of me linking to some Terry Crews stuff, is there any other resources that you can point to on um, just this whole topic? Yeah, so um, obviously the Sava Center, there is the... Um, but And while the Sava Center is a great resource, we do only cover Larimer and Well County in Colorado. So there is the National um, Rape Crisis Hotline through RAIN, um, which you can call them and they will link you to... Um, wherever the closest resources to you within wh- whatever state you live in or county. There are um, domestic violence hotlines. We also see um, there are suicide hotlines that will give obviously all these out to you because people who experience sexual uh, violence have are four times more likely to have thoughts of suicide and, and attempt suicide. So those are very important. Um, yeah, I think that's those are some pretty good ones. Any final thoughts on boys? In the Me Too era? Yeah. Um, well, I, just, I think it's just really important to emphasize the points that we made is that um, it's not scarier to be a boy today or a man today than it was 10, 20, you know, X, Y, Z years ago. Um, it's just that, you know, we're facing this problem head on as a society finally. Um, and that as men, we need to take responsibility for the roles we have in this, whether it is actually perpetrating or it's just perpetuating these ideas of what masculinity is and how it's dominant and how we're supposed to be sex obsessed and things like that. And, you know, having those conversations, whether it's uncomfortable as a man to do it or not, um, being open and honest about like, okay, well, I, I am a man and I recognize that I have perpetuated these ideas in my past and I get that that is wrong and I acknowledge that and I'm going to do better forward and just acknowledging that and doing that can mean so so much difference for not only you but the people you're around any you know in case any of survivors come forward and it just really changes the culture right um because as men we, we do play a vital role in this so awesome brett thank you so much yes of course Thanks so much for listening to today's show. And thanks again to the Sava Center for three shows worth of phenomenal content and a lot of great resources. You can check out the show notes on www.boysbuiltbetter.com. And if you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks for listening.